You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Good October morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you are listening from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, G.A. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Mike Morgan of ESPN SEC Network, proudly joined by the man, the myth, the legend of 24-7 sports, one J.C. Sherbert, he of Sherb. Nation, plenty to get to, and again, we appreciate the great response on our new format. At least throughout the season, uh, you get two for the price of one, which is free times two. So do the math on that. But uh, we will continue to do this each and every uh, early part of the week. In this case, we're recording it on Tuesday, and then we'll have another one ready for you latter part of the week. The Tuesday one is mostly about reviewing what just happened and also talking about some of the stories of the week in college football. And then the latter part of the week is a pure flat-on preview of what we're looking at in terms of the games uh, of the week on Saturday. With all that said, we'll dive right into what was week seven. JC, how are you? Very good, Mike. Um, uh, actually had some some upsets, one in particular <laughs> this past weekend. Uh and uh, had some good football games and lots of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, I think this past weekend, outside of the Georgia-South Carolina game, um, was very entertaining. I mean, I, I thought Notre Dame-Southern Cal was, was better than I anticipated. I thought, uh, you know, Texas-Oklahoma was close. I was impressed with Oklahoma. Just a lot, a lot of stuff this weekend that kind of, you know, got my juices flowing a little bit, maybe more so than the previous weeks. I know we were worried those games would not live up to the hype. Some of them didn't, but a lot of them did. So I thought that was uh, that was really, really good. And I'm still working my way through the blacklist on Netflix, and uh, <laughs> so I am watching TV. I know you've, you've been worried you about go. you've been worried about that, but um, I have. I've been worried about your lack of TV viewing. Uh, and and I did read on social media that you went and saw Joker. I have not seen it yet, but uh, oh, so I beat you to the you, box you, office you beat, on this. Beat me to it, man. I've just been kind of wow. busy, so you beat me on it. But uh, well, I will just tell you this: uh, number one, Joaquin Phoenix, who I've always had great respect for as an actor, is beyond ridiculously good in this so regardless of your takeaway from the film um 
he is magnificent, and I, I'm sure he'll be nominated for something. I never know what the Academy looks for anymore. Um, you know, it, it's it's typically their movies that satiates their appetite for their political views on certain uh, social issues. That's a that's an automatic way to get nominated and very often win. This has none of that going for it. <laughs> um, I mean, you could make a case that it, it has to do with a, a delicate subject of mental illness. But um, uh, all that being said, whether or not he wins an award, uh, he was terrific. The film itself, I got to tell you, I have been in intense therapy since. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I don't get rattled easily, just so you know. I mean, I was watching movies like The Shining when I was about 10, 11 years old. Uh, I, I found my way into watching various movies that were, uh, either a uh, made for adults based on, uh, sexual content, let's just say like, you know, back in the eighties, you had all those movies that just, uh, for, for casual reasons, just decided, you know, what would work here? Can we make sure we have five young ladies with no top on? It won't add anything to the plot. But that'll give us our R rating, and it'll add uh, ticket sales. You don't see that as much anymore. Or incredibly violent movies like Friday the 13th, like Halloween, those didn't even shake me up so much. The Shining did. Mm. Nicholson and The Shining, because that to me was real. Having a guy with a hockey mask uh, and a chainsaw, that just it, it reeked of Hollywood. It reeked of fake. Nicholson and The Shining was really real. And even though this guy, and then we'll get off the subject, I promise, uh, even though uh, the character here, and they, and they, I guess they're trying to do the, what, the DC comic thing with uh, Gotham or whatever the city's called. Again, I'm not into all that. Uh, but this is not a movie about a superhero with superpowers. It's just about a guy who's, uh, has got some, some mental illness going on, which is something that is very much an issue in, uh, in the world today. And so this is a movie anybody can relate to, whether you're a fan of the Joker and comic books and all that. This this is you didn't even need all that, quite honestly. You could have just called him Sam and have him in Manhattan and the story still holds up. Uh, But no, it's extremely dark and extremely dark. So I I I need a couple of days of recovery. I I need to like watch watch like Scooby Doo or something for 48 hours. Uh, but I'm back now, and uh, I'm not going to recommend the movie. I'm not going to recommend you don't see it. I'm just going to tell you, A, the performance by Joaquin Phoenix is ridiculously good. B, be prepared. It is seriously, seriously dark. Uh, there's nothing about it that is the least bit uplifting. And some movies are dark, but it's like, eh, this is not even real. It's just it's a typical Hollywood mumble-jumble. It's dark in a way that you're like, this guy could live down the street from me. You know, this is the guy you see uh, on the news one day when you least expect it when something really bad has happened. So that's that's my uh, my my very rudimentary review of the film Joker. Yeah. And then, look, I, I think from what I've read about it, and like I said, I'm going to see it because I like good filmmaking and I think it's a lost art. The same guy that did Old School and The Hangover did this movie. Ah, so I amazing mean, the, 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 yeah, the breadth. I mean, Todd Phillips, you, you have to give him credit for that, I think, for making a movie like that. Um, so many times co- comedic directors, they kind of, I mean, could you imagine Gary Marshall making this film? No. 
No. Um, no. You know, and, and Gary Marshall's great at what he does, but, you know, hey. <laughs> now, the Cohen brothers, aren't they the ones that did uh, – they, they mixed into both genres, right? Yeah, the Cohen brothers had, had a couple of things that, uh, that kind of crossed back and forth. Because they did uh, No Country for Old Men, right? Yes, yes. And also – Outstanding the, film, but they've also done some comedies, right? The Big Lebowski. Or am I wrong? Yeah, they did The Big Lebowski. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some stuff like that. So that's that. great range. That's that's. I mean, like Scorsese's not going to do a rom com anytime soon. No, no, no. It was, it was, but I think that's fantastic. So respect the art there. And then number two, just to get off the subject, and so you'll have nightmares tonight. Red rum. Yeah. Red <laughs> rum. Yeah. That movie holds today. That was made in what 1980. Mm-hmm. And that is a, is that Stanley Kubrick? Yes. Uh, uh, same guy that made Full Metal Jacket, right? Yeah, Full Metal I, Jacket I, I, so. and, and 2001 A Space Odyssey, all, all kinds of yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, Kubrick did incredible stuff. But, but The Shining, to me, if that's on, A, I'm watching, and B, it still freaks me out. Okay, that being said, you mentioned the, the, the key games we talked about going in. And, and, and look, I am, I am beginning to temper my expectations every week in college football because it's become a little too ho-hum a little too predictable, a little too stale for my taste. However, we finally had the game, and this is what college football usually delivers. We finally had the game that rocked the college football world on its side, at least for a 24-hour period, and that's the South Carolina win over Georgia. Uh, we've talked about the the Magnificent Six uh, basically going into the off season, and how they're clearly – uh, a class ahead of the other programs. I know you've been a little more cynical about Georgia than I have. I'd be the first one to tell you I did not see this coming. And I'm the guy that said, look, I don't think Carolina's having a miserable year. I mean, I know that fan base has been uh, disappointed with some things. And it was, you know, it was Armageddon after the loss to North Carolina. And then I guess some people were told that they were supposed to win at Missouri. I don't know who those people telling them that were. Um, but this is to me, their season was pretty much going the way I thought it would minus one game at the beginning. And I didn't look at this game as Georgia was going to beat them by 40 points, but I hadn't, I didn't have a scenario in my head that said, yes, South Carolina is going to go in there and defeat Georgia between the hedges. I just didn't, it didn't compute, but that's what we need in college football. We need games like where nobody sees it coming, where a 26 point underdog or whatever it was actually pulls off a win. That used to be a lot more normal. We finally, it took seven weeks, but we have it now this season in college football, and it is doing a lot to shake up the SEC and the national picture title as a whole. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I think that Georgia got kicked out of the cabal. Um, Saturday night, they let LSU in. <laughs> they kicked Georgia well, out. Of I, the I had both of them in. Yeah. I mean, in the six. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I think this year, yeah, LSU. But if you look at the past four years, Mike, we've had three programs to play for a national championship Clemson, Bama, and Georgia. Georgia's the only program that's gotten to that big game uh, besides Clemson and Bama the last four years. And I mean, you know, so obviously that says something. Obviously, they've dominated the SEC East. Um, they, you know, if you look at 2000, they hadn't lost an SEC East game since they lost to Florida uh, in Kirby Smart's first year, kind of toward the end of the year. Uh, hadn't lost an SEC East game at home since Vanderbilt, which, by the way, um, 
I got something about the Commodores on our de- DEFCONs here in a second. You and me both. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, no game has been closer than 14 points. I mean, they've dominated that division. So that was surprising. I, I, I do think South Carolina – and you, you, you saw it in the Missouri game a little bit because keep in mind that was a 34-14 ball game. But the Gamecock offense gave Missouri two touchdowns. So, so really, they held a pretty good offense to 20. They forced some turnovers out in Columbia, Missouri. They weren't great, but they were better than they were maybe against Bama or North Carolina. Came back, dominated Kentucky the next week. South Carolina's defense has a lot of players that are kind of in their second year. And then a lot of seniors that are just now hitting their stride, like Javon Kinlaw at defensive tackle. Uh, and they put it all together. I mean, Will Muschamp credit him. He had a great defensive game plan against them. Georgia's offensive line, I still think, is one of the best in the country. South Carolina's defensive line matched them. Uh, and then here's Israel Mukwamu, who none of you probably know anything about. He's a six foot four cornerback that South Carolina flipped from Florida State during recruiting. He's originally from South Carolina. Uh, played high school football his senior year in Bozier City, Louisiana. Uh, the Gamecocks flipped him back from Florida State after Jimbo Fisher left. And they've always thought, you know, this guy really could be a special player. And you look at his length and sort of the plays he made with not just the interceptions, but in past defense in general, you know, he's just a sophomore. He's a true sophomore, and, and he's playing better. Um, I, I did not think South Carolina would win that football game. I, I thought it may be a low-scoring kind of – middling affair 27-13 was my prediction certainly did not think South Carolina was going to win the football game having to play DeCarry and Joyner at quarterback for the majority of the second half after Ryan Holinsky was hurt I mean that's what made it even more improbable um I I do think that if you're Georgia and I talked about this during the offseason that you know everybody was just automatically putting Georgia up there and you know like I said rightfully so the results speak for themselves But when you have question marks at wide receiver, like they do, and I do believe they do, it's not that they are, you know, without talent there, but they they don't have the guys like they had last year. They don't have a Riley Ridley who's as solid as they come or a McCole Hardman who's a big play waiting to happen. Um, They've got a good young player in George Pickens and then a lot of guys. Um, and, And when you have question marks there and you're not able just to run through people in South Carolina's defense, to their credit, um, held them 75 yards below their season average running the ball, you know, you're going to get some games like that that are going to hang in the balance, Um, especially when you turn it over four times and the other team turns it over none. Um, So an improbable win. I, I think for Will Muschamp, it's a huge win. I think he finally had a game, Mike, and you and I both have watched a lot of Will Muschamp coach football teams for eight years. (laughs) <laughs> and we have seen the, just the inexplicable things go against that man when he's on the other sidelines. And on Saturday, he got some breaks. So that was good to see for him. Um, as for Georgia, I, I you know, look, I, I still think that they uh, are a team that could, you know, still win the East. They have no margin for error now. You drop a game to Florida. You drop a game to Auburn later in the year. Let's say Missouri comes in and cuts you. You know, all those things are on the table now, whereas I think we used to just assume that Georgia was going to win out and do whatever. But they're still in good position. They're still a very good football team. As for South Carolina, and we'll talk about this on our preview show later this week, Florida comes to Columbia this weekend. Gamecocks win that game, Mike. All of a sudden, South Carolina, 
dare I say, is in the thick of winning the SEC East, especially, <laughs> especially if Missouri doesn't get good news from the NCAA uh, right. on, their, on their appeal. And um, I don't think we would have even thought about that here a couple of weeks ago. So that just kind of shows you how quickly things can change. Um, you know, obviously I, that's the team I cover and the team I, you know, like to see win on the weekends, the Gamecocks. Uh, I'm, I'm saying I didn't expect it. Um, but for college football, uh, I think that's that's something good to see. You know, the question moving forward is going to be now, is this a Syracuse beating Clemson or Purdue beating Ohio State type of upset? Or are we seeing the Gamecocks program move forward? Uh, or is this something that can catapult them to being that other team in the SEC East um, that can contend, you know, most years uh, and, and finish in the top three in that division? Well, I, I would hope. Uh, for that fan base, which at times has eviscerated Will Muschamp and the hire of Will Muschamp, uh, will call off the dogs a little bit here. And regardless of what happens Saturday against a, a Florida team that continues to play very well, I mean, they competed for three, three and a half quarters against LSU, and they did it without two of their top defensive linemen. And um, I mean, to me, Trask is not a backup quarterback. To me, he's your better option, even if Felipe Franks was 100%. But I've been saying that for, for quite some time. Uh, but but what you got was that is a landmark victory on the road against the number three team in the country. That's top ten all time in the history of that program. I covered it long enough to know that. And uh, it, you saw a glimpse of what people thought they might be getting when Will Muschamp got the job, and that is a defense that knows uh, how to take you out of what you're comfortable with. There's no question Georgia has a lackluster wide receiving core right now. It's not what it's what it's been the last couple of years, and and they basically banked on that. They they game planned all around that. Dan Orlovsky, who is doing color uh, on the on the game on ESPN, I think as a rising star as an analyst was was all over that point he said quite frankly georgia's wide receivers just can't win one-on-one battles and and south carolina knows that and they basically took a to them on that uh, there, so there's there's two angles on this game and having been in south carolina as as i have and being in atlanta now as i am I've got a, I feel like I have a complete perspective on this whole thing just because I, I know where everybody's coming from and what they're looking at. Again, I would caution Gamecock fans, enjoy this. Don't sit there and ready to like spew venom if you, if you have another loss, uh, whether it's Florida or whether it's somebody down the road. This is still a Gamecock team that is not talented enough where they just show up and beat people. Things have to go right. And a lot of things went right in that game to the tune of 4-0 turnover margin. How often do you win a turnover margin 4-0 and still have to go to double overtime to win a game? That's that's one of those, it's your day. And they outplayed Georgia for 60 minutes plus two overtimes. Uh, Will Muschamp deserves credit for that. Ryan Holinsky deserves credit for that. I thought the game plan was a heck of a lot better than what I've seen in some other games um, from their from their coordinators on both sides. So that is a landmark victory, and it gives Gamecock fans some hope that, okay, maybe we do have the right guy as our, as our coach, and maybe we are heading in the right direction, even though it doesn't necessarily show up on the record side. For the Georgia side, whew, talk about being eviscerated. Um, somebody, I guess, it was, nobody sent it to me. My phone, which has a mind of its own, it, it recommends it's, it's a Google phone, and it recommends just various uh, articles. 
and one of them was from your your site, JC, not the Big Spur, but 24-7 Sports. It was the, the equivalent of the Georgia one. So whatever the Big Spur is from the Georgia Bulldogs side, that's the one. Dogs uh, 24-7. If there you go. If you're a Georgia fan and you like websites like that, it doesn't get any better than those guys. By the way, just a shameless, I, shameless plug for my boys there. <laughs> I put that right on the platter for you. I figured you might uh, cash in on that. So I got this thing, and it pops up my phone, and it's basically it's a message board, and they are crushing Kirby Smart, crushing Kirby Smart. Kirby's an idiot. Kirby didn't do this. Why didn't he call the timeout sooner? Um, why is the offense still look like something out of this? Their offensive, their offense in a lot of ways resembles what LSU fans were complaining about before they finally got it into the 21st century and brought in Coach Brady and. And now they've opened it up, and Joe Burrow's a Heisman Trophy candidate. I don't think they maximize Jake Fromm and and the weapons they do have, even though they don't have great wide receivers. Uh, and now it's a different coordinator, so that tells me that's not a coordinator thing. That's a you're working within the confines of Kirby Smart. Just like for all those years, you knew if you were an offensive coordinator for Nick Saban. Now this eventually changed a little bit when he finally gave in to to, to Lane Kiffin, and and since then, but pre Kiffin. If you were an OC at Alabama, you were limited in what you actually were going to have in your playbook because Nick Saban was going to control the way the game went. And I think Kirby Smart has tried to do that at Georgia. He has basically tried to say, we're not going to get into shootouts with people. We're going to be a physical team. We're going to be a, uh, a times ground and pound. And we don't mind winning lower scoring games. And we're not here to just pile up a bunch of numbers and yards. And look, I'm not saying you can't win that way. There are a lot of offensive coordinators out there who do their own thing. And it's more important to them to pile up stats on their resume because they all want to be head coaches. And they don't necessarily want to do the things in the, in the confines of what will help you better win the game. You're not going to do that with Kirby. But that being said, there's a lot of criticism being laid his laid down his way for uh, his clock management, which really goes back to his first year. Um, his his offensive lack of explosiveness, despite getting all these five star recruits, and then uh, just losing some games that it's hard to believe that you lost. And of course. It, you're going to have to live that down until you win a national championship in Athens. If you're Kirby smart, you're going to have to live down the second down and 26 in a national championship game and the inexplicable fake punt call in the sec championship game last year, where you should have beaten Alabama two times. It should have beaten Alabama didn't. And that's, that's still a bitter pill that Georgia fans have, have swallowed uh, reluctantly. And they're ready to pounce anytime Georgia loses a game that they feel like they shouldn't. And this certainly qualifies. So it, it is listening to radio around here, reading some uh, message boards. The, the media here, as you know, JC, it's not your typical SEC town. You have Atlanta media. You have Atlanta writers, Atlanta talk show hosts. Even if they're working on the flagship, they don't believe in, well, we got we to gotta sugarcoat stuff. No, 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 no. They're out for blood, and they've been out for blood on Kirby for the last 48 hours, and it's been brutal. Now, all that being said, like you pointed out, they still control their own destiny. Much like when they lost at LSU last year, what do they do? They win, They went out, they go to Atlanta, and they nearly beat Bama in the SEC championship game. Can they do that? Yes. Will they do that? I don't know. I think the Florida game is going to be real close to a pick'em game in Jacksonville. 
You mentioned Missouri, and by the way, they're they're still in limbo. That that article came out today. Dennis Dodd uh, saying that there's still no decision in sight, but Missouri's still going to play to win. We know that much. Um, and Auburn. So you got you got three really losable games there if you're not careful if you're Georgia. So I think all of a sudden, the Eastern Division finally has a little bit of suspense in it. It's not a great division. It's not the West by far, but it's still at least it has some suspense in it. Yeah, I, I think so too. And Georgia's also got a home game against Texas A&M uh, in late November. And I, look, I don't think the Aggies are as good as some people thought they would be this year. In fact, I was shocked to see they were still ranked <laughs> when they played Bama this past weekend. But that's still a team if you turn it over four times and they don't turn it over at all, that's a team that can beat you. I mean, you know, so that, that, that's the thing about it. And I, look, I understand the Kirby Smart thing, but, but I also think this about Georgia folks. I get it. You were doing things like this under your former head coach who was there 15 years. I mean, Mark Rick could certainly lose to South Carolina at home. <laughs> Mark Rick could certainly blow a lead against Bama. Um, he had that in 2012 in the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Rick could certainly get beat by 20 at LSU. Uh, so I get it. You know, there's just – there's not that much further for Kirby to go with the program because he took over a program that was really, really good. I do think, though, that, you know, we talk about the recruiting, and I think what Georgia fans have to realize is Georgia recruits very well every single recruiting cycle. They are in one of the most talent-packed states in the country. They are the team in the said talent-packed state, and they usually get their pick of the litter in terms of, you know, what they want to get and who they want to sign. I think they mess up sometimes by going out of state for players, when they could go in-state and get a guy. I don't think it's smart to chase stars. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but you look at their commit list and you got, you know, guys from D.C. and guys from Arizona and guys from here, there, and yonder. And then, you know, you lost to South Carolina this past weekend, three of their starting four defensive linemen who did pretty doggone good against your offensive line are from the state of Georgia. You look at Auburn and see how many players they have from Georgia. Certainly they beat you a couple of years ago. Even Alabama has a lot of Georgia kids. I mean, you know, I, I, I've always thought for Georgia and LSU and, and programs like that, Ohio State, uh, yeah, you can go get a couple of three or four guys that are national-level recruits from all over, but you've got to build it with guys from your state, guys that are fired up to go play football for Georgia each and every Saturday that know what it means – and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times that high three, low four-star guy from Georgia ends up being a lot better than the five-star from D.C. or Arizona or wherever just because the level of competition. You know, I did rankings for years, and it's hard, and I'm not knocking the system because mathematically over time, the better you recruit, the better you are. That, that's, a, that's a fact, over time. But when you drill it down to individual players – you know, it starts to add up. You know, maybe you go get a five-star from here, five-star from there, but, you know, the guys in your state are better, and and it adds up because all of a sudden, you know, you're at a game on Saturday against Auburn, and Auburn's got three receivers starting from Georgia, and their receivers are a whole lot better than yours. <laughs> and you're scratching your head going, why, you know? And that was a problem under Mark Richt. Mark Richt, uh, I think, didn't he didn't go as national as Kirby's going, um, I just don't think they always took the right guys. 
out of Georgia. I think they misevaluated a lot. Uh, I think Kirby evaluates better. But, you know, th- th- that's the thing, too. Now, recruiting is not the reason you lost to South Carolina. You, you lost to South Carolina because you turned it over four times, uh, and they turned it over none. Well, that's the bottom line with that game. And South Carolina's defensive line and defense in general played well. But th- th- there's something to be said for that. And, and I think if Georgia truly wants to get to that next level, you look at that 2017 team, Mike, and a lot of those players on that team, and now they weren't all from Georgia. Obviously, uh, Sony Michelle's from South Florida, but Nick Chubb's from Georgia. Jake Fromm's a Georgia kid. Roquan Smith's a Georgia kid. Lorenzo Carter's a Georgia kid. You know, you start looking around, man. DeAndre Baker was from South Florida. But you start looking around at those guys, and the guys that were kind of the backbone of that football team, Yes, there were some five stars, but there were also some three and four star guys that that really made a difference. Um, and I think that if you're a Georgia fan, you, you've got to temper your expectations when you kind of look at recruiting rankings and go, okay, well, we're going to close the gap with Bama. Bama's Bama because Bama's been Bama for a decade. You know, Clemson didn't get to be where Clemson is. By, you know, going out and chasing stars. You, you look at their roster the first time they beat Bama. It's not something that would blow you away from a recruiting ranking standpoint. So, so that would be what I would tell Georgia fans that, you know, yes, it's shocking to lose, and that is a game you absolutely can't lose. A 25-point favorite on your home field against a team that was 2-3, and three, no, you don't lose that game. But, you know, you're not there yet, and you haven't been. And don't just think automatically – that, you know, you're going to get there because of what happened two years ago. I, I think that you got to kind of stick with the process and win the games you can and, and be thankful and, you know, not go nuts on a guy that loses a game that he shouldn't because that, that happens everywhere. Um, you're, you're asking fans to be rational. Yeah, not, not yeah. these days that's never going to happen. It's just that just doesn't happen anymore. Mm. I mean, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> I can point to – almost every SEC fan base and, and show you a whole lot of lack of rational thought. Uh, and I'm not just picking on SEC fan bases. Heck, we could do that in the ACC. We could do it in the Big Ten. Um, the moment you get a taste, I always it's, it's my high watermark theory. Fan base sees, gets a glimpse of the high watermark, and they just assume that should be the norm. So Georgia makes it to the national championship game a couple of years ago, so now the fan base believes the norm should be they should be in the playoff every year. We've talked about this with South Carolina, three consecutive 11-win seasons. Well, now the norm should be 10-11 wins a year, but that was the high watermark. That, does, that doesn't necessarily happen. Kentucky's going through this now. They're crashing back down to earth, although they had a heck of a performance by their wide receiver turned quarterback, Lynn Bowden, to pick up a win, but they're not going to win 10 games. Vanderbilt's not going to look like James Franklin did. Uh, during the back-to-back nine-win seasons. Tennessee, shoot, they can't even remember the high-water mark. It's been so long. I think right, right now they would just be happy to win six. Congratulations to Jeremy Pruitt and company for picking up a big win against Mississippi State to give that fan base a, a, a pulse of hope, if you will. Mm. Uh, but but that's, that's where we are. So, I mean, based on all that and based on the perhaps unrealistic expectations for Georgia fans, I'm putting Kirby Smart this week on DEFCON 3 because uh, I'm telling you, uh, every win, excuse me, every loss the rest of the way for Georgia, and they're going to be all over his rear end because now that Georgia fans have a taste, they believe that it is their right 
to go ahead and be in Atlanta every year playing the SEC championship game. They believe they should win it at least half the time and be in the college football playoff at least half the time. Now, whether or not that any of that's realistic is another story, but I can tell you this, just being right here in the, uh, the, on the pulse of it, uh, they are ready to pounce on old Kirby, despite the fact that, you know, he, he's obviously done some good things in a short amount of time in Athens. So now on DEFCON 5, JC, uh, we're left with basically five. Bama, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson. I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna, to... Uh, okay, what you got? You taking somebody off? Or uh, no, somebody no. Else? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, a, a uh, pile of poop in the Cabal's punch bowl. And, and all right, they're not in the cabal yet. They're not. They're not in, but they are on DefCon Five. Okay. And I think I know where you're going. In a couple of weeks, they may they may crash the whole party. And I'm going to go with the mighty Badgers of Wisconsin. Yeah. So I've got them down. De- Here's my list on DefCon Five: Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson. I put Wisconsin's defense. Four shutouts. It's insane. They are it's salty. Insane. They're salty, man. I mean, they, and they are. They are they're salty. well coached. I mean, they've got one of the most underrated coach. Nobody talks about them, right? Um, I, I, I'm in on Wisconsin. I just don't think they're going to win the Big Ten. That's why I don't put them on. I'll put their defense defense on DefCon Five. I'll put the team as a whole on DefCon Four. I, you Both know. And even if they win at Ohio State in a couple of weeks, you know that's going to probably end up being a rematch unless Penn State comes out of that division. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I still. Prove me wrong, Wisconsin. I, I would love to see Wisconsin come out of the Big Ten. I've just be been great. super impressed with them this year. I mean, they have been dominant, and they have this formation, Mike, where they line up, they have seven offensive linemen on the field at the same time. Well, actually, you count the tight ends, you got like eight. You got. Two tackles in the backfield playing fullback. It's the most Wisconsin formation I've ever seen in my life. And they just hand it to Taylor, and these two tackles just plow through the the the, the B gap there and just obliterate everybody. <laughs> it's like, wow, you know. Um, and they keep on keeping on every week. You know, you're like, well, maybe Michigan gets them. Oh, Michigan State's a tough team. They, they usually they'll take them. Maybe they'll take them out. And they they haven't. And it hasn't even been close. So, I'm with you. I'm not putting them in the cabal yet, but I am putting them on DEFCON 5 for now. You think, you think Brett Bielema wakes up in the morning and says to himself, why the hell did I ever leave? <laughs> I could have stayed in Madison, and I could have won 10 games plus a year, running my offense, big burly offensive lineman, uh, and, and just doing everything, not to take anything away from Paul Christ, but... It's not that dissimilar from what Brett Bielema was doing. Wisconsin athletics in general, I think, is a machine. And it, it, they do more with less than anybody in the country. They're not in a great football recruiting area. They're not in a great basketball recruiting area. Yet all they do is win, 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 and they win their way. You know, uh, Bo Ryan in basketball, you look at kind of what – He's done, and, uh, you know, their football team, no matter who the coach has been, they, it's kind of the same thing, you know, ground and pound and, and, and get it done. I mean, Chris was the offensive line coach for some of those good Bielema teams and, you know, obviously got a, quite a reputation there and had a couple good years at Pitt and then came back. But, um, 
Ah, I just hats off to the Badgers, man. I think I think they're really. I think this is. And last year, you know, they were a disappointment, Mike. They lost to BYU at home. I think they finished seven and five. Then they ran Mark Richt out of coaching in the Pinstripe Bowl, blasting Miami. And then this year, nobody's really even talking about them. People were talking about maybe Nebraska winning that division, which is not going to happen. Um, you know, Purdue, uh, the, the offensive juggernaut coach player, you know, flavor of the week, Jeff Brom, who probably will regret not taking Louisville. Um, all those guys, you know, everybody's like, no, nobody's, everybody's counting the Badgers out. And lo and behold, they're, you know, one of the best teams in football this year. I'm going to give you a name. Um, I know everybody in Wisconsin knows him. I'm sure a lot of Big Ten fans know him. I don't think he's a household name yet. You know names like Venables, Aranda, when you think of the elite defensive coordinators in the country. But Jim Leonard is a name you better get to know more because he is a young coordinator, just his second year as the D.C. there, third year overall, and they gave him a major bump in pay. He's another one of those. He's, he's flirting with seven figures as a coordinator. I think Chris makes a little over $4 million a year. Wisconsin's got money, <laughs> uh, and they're not afraid to spend it. And they got an AD and Barry Alvarez, who's a former coach, who, you know, uh, when you got ADs that are former coaches, they tend to make the money work. They're not, they're, they're not glorified fundraisers. He, he, he's not going to, like, lose Paul Christ to cash, per se. I think Brett Bielema wanted to get a taste of SEC life. I don't think that was as much a money thing as Brett Bielema wanted to, wanted to see what else was out there. I don't necessarily think that's the case with Paul Christ. I think he's, he's quite cozy where he is. But Jim Leonard's a guy that could be a head coach. Uh, it wasn't that long ago he was playing. I'm, I'm trying to find Jim Leonard's age, but he can't be that old. So he's going to be a hot name is, is what my point is. Just mm-hmm. remember the name Jim Leonard. And Dave Aranda was the D.C. there before he went to LSU, too. So, I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. kind of used to having really good coaches at, uh, at Wisconsin. So it's, a, it's quite, a, uh, quite, a, quite a spectacle up in Madison. I'm probably going to um, probably gonna uh, hope to get to a game there someday. My buddy – one of my friends is from Wisconsin, and he talks about going to games at Camp Randall and how good it is and all yes. that stuff. So hopefully I can it's get It's on there my bucket day. list. Yeah, definitely, it, definitely. It's definitely on my bucket list, and I've heard nothing but, but great things about Bucky. And uh, the, the, not just the, the game, the city, everything about it. It's, it's an area that, regrettably, I've not been to uh, at all to uh to work a game or to or just go to a game anything uh that's that's on the list all right so there's defcon 5 a little bit of a change a little bit of a mix-up we have a little bit of variety in by, college football by the way jim yeah. leonard played for the cleveland browns in 2014 yeah i mean i, I remember just playing in the nfl not long ago five eight hundred ninety pound pound safety from wisconsin yeah, playing the NFL nine years, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all yeah. American. But, I mean, let, let's be honest; it's hard to forget white defensive backs in the NFL because there aren't that many of them. Especially when they're five eight. I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on, man! Yeah, what a player. Dude, Duke was a baller, and he's he's already off to a great start as a coach. All right, DefCon four. You know, last year, uh, excuse me, last week, I talked all about SMU and the return of the Pony Express. What a great story that is. Talked about Matt Rule and Baylor, who would probably be my coach for uh, National Coach of the Year up to this point. I think he's done a a remarkable job. Now, they had a little help from the officials, but they did get a big win again. Mm -hmm. How about the the Fighting Flex and Minnesota? 
How about Minnesota still undefeated? That's a guy that I thought should have got more consideration for the Tennessee job. Didn't look like that was really on their radar. Uh, but P.J. Fleck, you give him a couple years, he's turned Minnesota into a factor. The fighting Herm Edwards of Arizona State, I, you're, you're forcing me to take notice. You're forcing me to take notice which, what's going on over there. More than just a good sound bite. Uh, hey, look, the Oregon Ducks, you know, they're 5-1. and one, They're 3-0 and oh in the Pac-12. I, I know they lost to Auburn, and I know the Pac-12 is still probably going to be shut out uh, of the playoff. Uh, but that's still a good story. So that's my DEFCON 4 for right now. Episode later this week, there's a big Pac-12 game coming up uh, this weekend uh, for the Ducks. But, yeah, I mean, look, Colorado has not played bad football this year, beating them 45-3, to um, and that's coming off a of 17-7. When, when, would you, when have you ever heard of a big tw- Pac-12 game finishing 17-7? It was Oregon and Cal the week before. Um Oregon's playing some defense. I mean, they're playing some ball on the defensive side. So uh, I think they have a shot if things go their way, if they get to the end of the year and the only loss is that Auburn loss, depending on who else loses, you know, they still have a shot. So uh, it's not completely dead. It's like uh, the quest for the Holy Grail, a Monty Python movie. Bring out your dead. Oh, not dead yet. You remember it's that? Just a flesh wound. It's just, it's just a flesh. I mean, you know, I, so I, I think the Pac-12 is still on life support. I'm going to put South Carolina this week on DEFCON 4 just because I think for this week, everybody in Gamecock land uh, is going to feel pretty happy. And I'm going to throw the Temple Owls on my DEFCON yeah. 4 list. Big win over Memphis, man. <laughs> and yep. uh, I don't even know. Who, who's the coach at Temple now? Rod Carey? I came Carey. from Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cincinnati and, and Cincinnati's also having a pretty good year under Luke Fickle. Cincinnati and Temple, the cradle of coaches these days. And um, that has to uh, really stick in the crawl of one of my repeat DEFCON 1 uh, members for this week, too. But, yeah, Temple's doing well, too. I thought that was a big win. And um, I think they play SMU this weekend, but I'm not sure. But anyway, we got the preview show coming up later in the week. We do. We'll we'll definitely iron that out on on that on that segment. Uh, by the way, Cincinnati's only lost one game. I know they got throttled by Ohio State, but at the end of the day, for their purposes, uh, they're doing everything that you could you could hope to do. Uh, good coaching, program solid. They've been. Uh, uh, They've been a factor in, in the Group 5 race, which, of course, right now is led by undefeated Boise State. Uh, yeah, on DEFCON 3, I put Memphis and Wake Forest, a piece of humble pie mm. for each of those. Uh, a good story still, but a piece of humble pie with those respective losses, especially Wake losing at home to Louisville. Yeah, and, and look, I, I, I would probably also put Louisville, which is a complete dumpster fire when Scott Satterfield took over, kind of in the DEFCON 3-4 area as well. Huge win for them. I thought Wake Forest, seriously, Mike, was the second best team in the ACC behind Clemson when you look at body of work. Going down like that, 62 to 59, that's great for Louisville, bad for Wake. There's not much defense being played in Winston-Salem these days, is there, old chap? Oh, no. And that's kind of bad because, you know, Wake Forest usually can get, you know, you look and you see some of the guys they put in the NFL, they usually have a DB or a defensive tackle or a DN, somebody like that that's really good that ends up playing pro ball. Uh, But, yeah, a lot of humble pie for the Demon Deacons. I'm going to throw Tennessee on DEFCON 3 right now. 
I, I, I took them down from two just because they won. And I think that yet again, you know, I had a lot of questions about Joe Moorhead coming in the, to, to the SEC. I think he's a heck of an offensive coach. Uh, I think they've recruited just as well as Mullen has. They do well in state. He's got a good staff. But you're starting to see some cracks here a little bit. Um, got blown out by Auburn, and then you only put 10 on the board at Tennessee. Tennessee's not a defensive juggernaut. Um, and, you know, there's talk about, you know, Rutgers being interested in him and stuff. I just, you know, a, a lot of times these guys that get a lot of hype get a lot of hype because they put points on the board because they're in good situations. And you have to play defense, and it doesn't always work everywhere. Um, so I hope Mississippi State turns it around. But that was a bad loss. I mean, that was that. I know it was on the road. I know some things didn't go their way, but that's still a bad loss. It's a bad loss. It's it's been a bad start to the tenure of one Joe Moorhead, who I've got squarely on DefCon two right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get a good sense or vibe from the Mississippi State Bulldog fan base, which I will say, and I say this as a compliment, is not as reactionary as some of the others. Where after every loss. It's fire this guy, fire that guy, fire this guy. Uh, however, it, it's it just has not been. If you go back to last year, I know they won some games, but that was a talented team that most people thought should have won more. Mm-hmm. And then this year, you get your so-called system fit quarterback, uh, and it still hasn't looked good. Uh, or quarterbacks, I should say, in the case of, of the Bulldogs. I, there, there's just... It's early, but it's not vibing right now. Would you agree, uh, yeah. Joe Moorhead and Starkville? It's just not vibing. No, and it wasn't going to unless he continued to win. He's because he's just not a guy. I mean, I think he's a heck of a coach, and I think in, in other, another situation somewhere he could do really well. He won at Fordham, man. You know, I mean, he, he's a he, – but at Mississippi State – and look – Credit their AD with making an out of the box hire. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to call it a bad hire. I'm just going to say that you needed to thread the needle there for it to work, and it's not um, right now. Now, could turn it around, but they go down the stretch. They lose to Ole Miss this year. Whoo, shoe buddy. That's not going to be good. That would make for a very long offseason. By the way, to go back to DEFCON 3 real quick, uh, Michigan State offense, woeful. Uh, and Dan Tony getting um, a little bit testy with the media these days, talking about it. Look, it, it's on you, buddy. I mean, nobody asked for your offense to be this brutally bad. Michigan <laughs> State is just not a good football team. Uh, they are they are not even competing with the best of the best in the Big Ten, and that's just that's a bit of a head scratcher because we're we're just so used to the great job that he has done. I mean, he's done a magnificent job overall in East Lansing, but. Uh, but for the last year or two, not so much. And then I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping Jim Harbaugh and DefCon three uh, contingent upon what happens against Penn State this weekend. Yeah, I uh, mean that that that. I'm I'm just saying, Jim, it's about time to come through with one of these. You can't just you can't just keep beating the teams you're supposed to, and then. And then against the better teams in the league, go down. This is a big one. Just saying. He needs a W. Bad. I, I'm gonna. Um, I'm gonna throw uh, Nebraska on DefCon three right now. Uh, I, I think that losing to Minnesota in the manner that they did is uh, sort of sort of tough. 
sort of unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another one that hasn't worked quite as well as some people would think. Yeah, I, I'm, not not so know. far. I mean, I, and, and I look. Not I'm, so far. I, I still am a believer in Scott me, Frost. Me too. And I, I knew it was going to take a little bit, but, you know. you of, get, of course. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, then you really – this is what I always say. And this is very similar to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. When you make that so-called slam dunk hire that everybody – and I mean 99.999% of Michigan fans wanted Jim Harbaugh, got him, and celebrated. 99.999% of Nebraska fans wanted Scott Frost, got him, and celebrated. If, neither, if either one of those does not work out, as a fan base, you're more than mad. You're a little scared mm-hmm. because you have to ask yourself – if it didn't work out with that guy, who the hell is it going to work out with? I mean, that's the scary part. Like a lot of these coaching, because fans, I mean, we, we don't know. Fans don't know. ADs don't know. Most of these hires are rolls of the dice, okay? They're, they're just rolls of the dice. You're, you, 99.9% of the programs are not getting Urban Meyer or Nick Saban. So you have to be a little creative, and you have to take – you ha- you're going into the unknown when you make these hires, and if they don't work, it's like, well, it was a bad hire. Clearly, we can get somebody better, and that makes you feel better as a fan. If you're Michigan and you're Nebraska, if this doesn't work out with Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh, there's that really sinking suspicion and fear, especially for me in Nebraska, because I think that the, the, the era has changed, and Nebraska is just not as sexy a place as it was. And I think it's harder to win there than it was. And I think that the move to the Big Ten didn't make things any better for Nebraska, might have made them worse. It's scary to me if I'm a Nebraska fan, which has all the money and all the support and all the facilities. If it doesn't work out with Scott Frost, what's your next move? Yeah, and and Nebraska has great fans. I I would say if you ask me who the best fans in college football were, I would say Nebraska fans. And so I, I feel really bad. Uh, for them, but but at the same time, I'm not I'm not I'm not quite willing to. Like I said, I put them on DefCon three just because, you know, Minnesota beat them pretty good, and and the Gophers and the Huskers. If you're a Husker fan, you usually beat the Gophers, you know, the Gophers. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna say this too uh, about Minnesota, PJ Fleck, and you mentioned him earlier as far as a Tennessee guy, and I I think quite frankly, if they make a change at Southern Cal and. Um, Urban Meyer's not the guy that, you know, P.J. Fleck, I think he says row the boat. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that um, a friend of mine actually has said this for years, so i got to give him credit on this. He has said P.J. Fleck would be a guy. Um, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, Mike, they are 6-0 and right now, okay? Like 6-0. and mm-hmm. They play Rutgers this weekend. 7-0. They play Minnesota, They play Maryland at home. Eight give, no. give them eight. Then they got Penn State at home in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind they do have an outdoor stadium now. Uh, they play at Iowa, at Northwestern, and then Wisconsin. The battle for Paul Bunyan's axe between Wisconsin and Minnesota at the end of the year in Minneapolis on November 30th could very well be a battle of top ten teams. That's incredible. I would say worst case scenario, Minnesota's going nine and three. Yes, and which is amazing. When, which when he took that job, 
if you consider where Minnesota football was overall, and uh, you know following recruiting, I mean, gosh, that, that's got to be really hard to, to recruit Minnesota. Uh, the job he's he's already done a short amount of time. Again, I, I made the analogy when he was on the market. I said, if you're a program that's going through some dire straits, this is your Bruce Pearl. This is your guy who's he's a shot of adrenaline for your program. He'll not only win the press conferences, uh, he's also a good coach. It's not just a gimmick. I think some people thought he was just a gimmicky guy and shied away from him. Uh, I think some of those programs are kicking themselves saying we should have hired him while we had the chance. So uh, kudos to P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. Uh, It's a brutal stretch down the end of that schedule. But even if, again, conservatively, even if they go nine and three, that's one of the best coaching jobs of the season. Uh, DEFCON 2, uh, <laughs> really, it's it's just a matter of whether or not this guy's going to be on DEFCON 2 or DEFCON 1 in a given week. But Willie Taggart, take take your pick, Willie. You can uh, flip a coin, DEFCON 1, DEFCON 2. It's not that they lost to Clemson, and I know they scored a couple late, oh, by the way, touchdowns, but they really weren't even competitive. It's a snapshot of how far away from Clemson – florida state really is that doesn't sit well with seminole fans um now he's making the case for hornybrook shouldn't be the guy and blackman should be the guy there's you've got elite coordinators you know they they bring in levitt uh they bring in bryles i I don't even know what willie taggart does anymore i i he's got a whistle around his neck so I'm, i'm assuming he's he does something during practice and stuff and uh, maybe he makes a decision on whether or not to go for it on fourth and one. But, uh, it, it, again, not really competitive in that game. And the biggest controversy was whether or not Dabo is running up the score. That's a problem if you're Florida State and you're worried about whether or not Clemson's running up the score on you uh, in a game. So that, that's my, my one and only on DEFCON 2. And DEFCON 1, it sounds like you and I are thinking alike here. Vanderbilt inexplicable home loss to a bad UNLV, UNLV team. I I don't know. I have no answers. I, yeah, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I did think that Vanderbilt was the worst team in the SEC even before that game. I, I think they're definitely the worst team in the SEC now. Um, and they have some pieces that should make them better. I mean, they maybe they just have those three guys. I don't know. I, mean, I, I uh, you know, they kept talking. Derek Mason after the game says, well, we should have given the ball to the running back, you know, 30 times. Well, maybe you should have because that's how you beat UNLV. I mean, you just line up and run it, run it at them. I mean, you just, don't be cute. Don't be cute. <laughs> you know, you lost by 24. Look, Vandy's expectations, they're, you talked about Mississippi State fans being patient. Vandy fans are going to be extremely patient. In fact, Derek Mason, all he had, to do, all he needs to, have to do is keep hanging out between four and six wins every year, and beat and you know beat Tennessee every now and then, and he's beating Tennessee a whole bunch. Um, they're going to be fine, but man, you have to kind of the bottom. That's a bottom falling out type of loss when you lose to UNLV at home. It's not even a good Mountain West team. I mean, you know, it'd be one thing if it was Air Force or somebody, but it's UNLV. And I know a lot about that program and. Boy, that was a big win for them. Let's just say that right now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to put two other teams on DEFCON 1 too, Mike, because I was, I, was, um, I was in Illinois this past weekend watching football in Chicago. 
and was at a Buffalo Wild Wings watching the Gamecocks play Georgia. And then on the other two TVs, they had Rutgers, Indiana, and Illinois, Michigan. And I got a good look at those teams. There are no Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, and there were a couple of Michigan fans in the Buffalo Wild Wings, by the way. They, They don't really do college football in Chicago on some days, like they do, like maybe in Atlanta, you know. So I'm sitting there watching it, and you know, and and I just the Big Ten is most years the second best conference. You know, you can make a case for it. I was just amazed at the lack of athleticism, size, players, coaching, whatever. Now Illinois did do some things late against Michigan that made the score respectable. Rutgers is flat out awful. Um, and so I'm putting, and we knew Rutgers was on DEFCON one anyway, because they made a coaching change. I've just, these don't even look like power five football teams to me. And, and, you know, you got a guy in Lovey Smith that was a pretty successful pro coach down at Illinois. Um, they were not competitive. Wisconsin, uh, makes the trip down, I guess it's I-57 to Champaign-Urbana this weekend. And then they're going to smoke those guys. I think that that era is over. Illinois is a good football state. Uh, I know that program historically has not been consistently good, but they have had some great moments. I still continue to maintain that Rutgers is the State University of New Jersey and the birthplace of college football. If they made a out-of-the-box good hire, if they went and found their P.J. Fleck, I think they could at least get to bowl games. Uh, and then Vandy. Vandy, Illinois, Rutgers, all on DEFCON 1 right now. And, and I forgot to mention Arkansas on DEFCON 2 because they did lose to Kentucky. But, you know, Arkansas is a – a beast that we can discuss some other time. They, they lost to a Kentucky team that had a wide receiver playing quarterback. Yes, they did. That they did do. And it was close. It was close, but yeah, it's Arkansas is going to, they're going to have to win some recruiting battles, JC. They're going to have to uh, figure some things out. We talked about it last week. I, I don't want to pile on for the sake of uh, piling on, but uh, it's, it's, uh, there's some work to be done for Chad Morris and company. There, there, there just is. By the way, Lovey Smith. I, sometimes I'd love to know, like, who are you bidding against for for certain coaches? They gave him a six year, twenty one million dollar contract, um, to become the head coach in Illinois. And apparently, if I'm reading this right, in a couple of those years, he's making upwards of five million a year. It's Lovey Stinking Smith. You you could have got him for seven fifty. Like who's hiring him? Nobody, nobody. So that's um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, move there, and it it hasn't really worked out too well in lovely Champagne or Urbana. But uh, yeah, your your list of DefCon one certainly holds up. And by the way, there are there are multiple Group Five teams that could beat the programs we're talking about. Which goes back to my my theory too that the, just because you're power five doesn't mean you're better than every group five opponent. It's nice to live in that world and feel that you are, but but you're not. Uh, Memphis, Cincinnati, you know, I can name a few schools from the American. We've seen Mountain West schools already knock off power five uh, on any given year. There's a Sunbelt team that could do it. So uh, I mean, I, I'm not convinced if if a couple of those programs played in the American. They might still have a losing record, even though they're Power Five schools. Oh yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, you know, and in, in, in certain years, not in every year, in certain years, you know, you do have 
situations where, you know, like I'll say Syracuse, you know, Syracuse last year, probably not. Syracuse this year, you throw them in the American, they're a 500 football team at best, you know. Yeah. They lost. Boy, people the, were ready to jump on that bandwagon, weren't they? Oh, God. They, they, Dino Babers based oh, on. Oh, my goodness. A close loss to Clemson. A lot of Syracuse grads out there, broadcasting grads, that love to kind of flex their muscles uh, when something good happens with Syracuse football or Syracuse anything. But my God, that was the biggest quick jump to, hey, look, we've arrived based on a couple of wins. Syracuse football has not arrived, folks. It's, no, no. it's still Syracuse football. And look, I think he was a fantastic hire for them because the style of play and you play in a dome and you're kind of an outpost in the ACC and all that. And it's it paid off with a big win over Clemson a couple of years ago on a Friday night. And you know, they got a lot of credit for the close loss to Clemson. And, and you know, I, I, this year the wheels have just fallen off. So the question becomes with him and the orange is, is it sustainable there or will someone else give him a shot somewhere else or something like that? But that's, that's beside I, And they were on DEFCON too. I forgot to mention that, but uh, yeah, Lovey Smith, 81 and 60. Here's why they hired him. 81 and 63 is the head coach of the Chicago bears. He coached there nine years and took them to a Super Bowl. I think that, they were at a point where they were like, well, we can we can get this guy that coached for the Bears and, and he can go into Chicago and recruit. And that's just not happening. I mean, because I, I, I think kids in Chicago, and, and then, which is the most talent-laden part of Illinois, they like to go to Notre Dame and Michigan and places like that. And you got Northwestern up there, you know, that's competing. Wisconsin comes and gets guys. And then the University of Iowa comes into the rest of the state and takes every good offensive lineman they produce. <laughs> and, and so it's kind of in the Big Ten up there, it's kind of a dynamic that, you know, I, I don't know that Lovey Smith was the answer. I respect him for trying. I think Lovey Smith's a good person, but man, he's got a, <laughs> he's got a bad football team and, and there's no end in sight. Rutgers and Illinois, I literally sat there, I was watching South Carolina and Georgia, Rutgers and Illinois out of my left eye, and I was like, can't get any worse than Illinois. Turned my head to the right and saw Indiana throttling Rutgers. And I was like, oh, man, you know, it's like, ah, so. I will I will agree. Lovey Smith, I'm sure, is a fine individual. And if he if he came to my front door, I would welcome him, welcome him in, offer him a cold beverage and a snack. However, <laughs> as a college football coach, he is way out of his element. Yeah. And that was a reach of a hire. Even if you considered him a good NFL coach, which is debatable, it's, it's just a huge difference between the NFL and college football, because there's so much more. That's why college football coaches get paid what they do. Your responsibility, your responsibilities are so much more than as an NFL coach. People, people have that all twisted. People think that the NFL coaches are the ones that work tireless hours and they're sleeping on a cot inside the, the, the practice facility. Uh, Try recruiting. Mm. Try fundraising. Try speaking to this guy and that guy and dealing with this nonsense and that nonsense. None of that exists for these NFL guys. None of it. And most college coaches, quite frankly, are more involved in at least one phase of play calling than your typical NFL coach where it's it's really uh, delegated to, the, to your coordinator. So uh, I, I think being a head college football coach is one of the hardest jobs in, in sports, period. At any level to be successful at it. And that's why they're getting paid five, six, seven million dollars a year. And that's why there's so few good ones, because very few can balance all the things you need to balance uh, in that world. Um, as, as we wrap things up, I know we're running out of time. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention 
the game of the week, which, by the way, was not picked up by CBS. It was the highest-rated ESPN game in two years, mm-hmm. regular season. Yeah. The ratings just came out. Highest-rated uh, regular season game in two years. Meanwhile, CBS uh, treated its audience to another Alabama over Texas A&M. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to answer that phone call as to why that decision was made, but obviously it was to the benefit of ESPN. Uh, the LSU-Florida game, we talked about Florida. I know we're running out of things to say, accolades about LSU, other than to say that, that Joe Burrow continues to impress. Their wide receivers I don't think are getting enough credit. They've got one of the best tandems of wideouts. Defense, we expect it to be good. Um, look, I'll be the first one to tell you, I didn't think Ed Orgeron was going to work at LSU because I didn't think Ed Orgeron was going to work anywhere as a head coach. I will say this. This is the one place that I think it can work because you're always going to have talent at, at LSU. He is a great recruiter, which only enhances that. He is a perfect fit. And much like with Dabo at Clemson, they have been smart enough and he has been smart enough. Sometimes the, the smartest people in the world know what they don't know. He knows he has to surround himself with elite coordinators if they're going to make it to the next level. He also knew that he had to get off the uh, the stance of this is how we run an offense, this is how I've always done it, blah, 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 blah. No, LSU needed to evolve, and he hired a coordinator and allowed him to truly evolve. Remember the cynicism we all had going back to – SEC media days, yeah, in theory, they've got a coordinator that's going to open it up. But is Coach Orgeron really going to let him do it? He has. They have. And they've benefited. And right now, they're looking as good as any team in college football. Joel Burrow, Gold Tigers. Tigers. But no, um, I agreed. And, and they are a difficult, difficult defend if you're a defensive coordinator. I mean, they – Florida had the ball a whole lot, you know, in that ball game. And credit Florida. Florida played them tough, I thought. You know, Florida had some players banged up. Um, but LSU, you know, you start looking at it, Mike, and, you know, they play at Mississippi State this weekend and then watch us have another Titanic upset. Watch Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead beat Joe Burrow. Starfield. <laughs> uh, let, let's have it. But, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this about Ed Orgeron, and I was not quite as negative about it as you. When he lost, to no, Tro- you were you were actually somewhat positive about it. When he lost to Troy at home, though, I was like, "Uh oh, this is the beginning of the end." And because I, I thought that because of what Matt Canada did at Pitt the year before, Matt Canada, and come to find out, Matt Canada was just kind of a bad egg. You know, you talk to people that he worked with at NC State, he kind of got ran out of there. He got along with Pat Narduzzi apparently at Pitt and had a good run, and then at LSU it was a disaster. And then he promotes Steve Insminger, and you're like, man, this is going full space Cowboys and, and all that. But you kind of look at Insminger's results at LSU as the interim, and you know, he kind of did well. And then you add Brady to the list to be the passing game coordinator, and they're just having all kinds of fun. They're having a lot of fun um, playing football at LSU on offense again. Now their defense – Probably not quite as good of a defense as they used to have, statistically at least, but that's more. That's a lot because of their style of play on offense, Mike, because they go up mm-hmm. and down the field and stuff. Right. Um, I think that LSU clearly is the number two team in the country. I promise you that when LSU plays Bama this year, 
we are going to see more than a nine to six overtime game <laughs> like we saw in 2011, the last time these two teams were one and two. And I personally can't wait. Hats off to Ed Orgeron. My man is 37 and 11 as a head football coach since leaving Ole Miss. So sometimes That's it's right. about where it, it definitely a lot of times it's about where you're at, you know. It, it, well, I, I think that's, I don't want to say nine-tenths of it, but it's a big part of it where you're at. Uh, again, I don't think Ed Orgeron's a fit for a ton of other places. Uh, there are some coaches that are the perfect fit for a program that is already kind of elite, and, and they know how to handle the pressures with that and maybe even take that program to the next level. There are other coaches that can walk into a, just a dumpster fire of a situation and actually – turn it into gold Mm -hmm. they can take someone else's trash and turn it into a treasure that to me is the biggest skill of them all and that's that's the most rare of coaches and we you know we've talked about what fleck has done in minnesota what satterfield is doing at louisville i mean they're 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 few and far between um but they're all different categories coach o was never going to work at ole miss but he is a good fit for lsu and again i pull for the guy because i think he's entertaining i think he's tv gold I mean, this guy's had a. I used to call him the the David Putty uh, of of college football coaching. He's he's got a little bit of that vibe. But I love David Putty on Seinfeld. He's one of my favorite characters. Absolutely. And Coach O's got he's got a little bit of that. Uh, it's going to be rough, Elaine. Uh, got to support the team. But you know, it, I I I hope he keeps going strong. I think he's good for the conference. And, and LSU is a great story. And LSU Alabama, man, that can't happen soon enough. That is going to be. That might be better than any game we were treated to in the 14 playoff. LSU Alabama might be the game of the year. And it may be the might be the, may first, be the of first of two again. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be interesting. Anyway, uh, we're over time uh, once again, because sometimes the talk is just that good. Again, for those of you that haven't already taken advantage of the great uh, work of one Brent Skinner at bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up your appointment today. Buy a suit or a sports coat. Mention you heard about it on the podcast. He's throwing in a free custom-made button-down dress shirt. You will not find a better material, a better-looking shirt, and a better-fitting shirt, and it's free with your purchase. So go ahead and give him a call or check out the website. Set up an appointment. He will come to you no matter where you are in the country. That's BP. SkinnerClothiers.com. That is Brent Skinner. That is all for us now. But again, don't forget to catch our preview installment of the J.C. Morgan podcast later on in the week. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Thanks for tuning in, folks.